0: After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, that they may know you, the only true God. I've made your name known to them. They are in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them that they may be one. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that look most alike say that when Jesus had had the Passover meal with his disciples that fateful Thursday evening and Judas had gone out, they sang a hymn and then crossed the little Kidron Ravine into the beautiful grove of olive trees where Jesus went a little farther and agonized, O Father, not this cup, please. Let this cup pass from me but thy will be done. Now, John will have no part in that. John's gospel begins with the eternal word. In the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God. The Logos was God. Nothing was made that was not made by the Logos. And the Logos was made flesh. He came to his own. They received him not. To those who received him who believed on his name, he gave the power to become the children of God. So John doesn't have that prayer from the Mount of Olives. Instead, he inserts this prayer, a portion of which we've just read, which scholars call the High Priestly Prayer. The High Priestly Prayer, where the three synoptics are emphasizing in that moment the deep humanity of our Lord, how he was very man of very man, John is reminding us again he was also very God of very God. You remember what the high priest role was. The most significant day of the year, Yom Kippur, on that day of atonement, the high priest offered sacrifice for his sins and those of his family. And then he went into the Holy of Holies, that innermost room of the beautiful temple Only he entered that room and he only once a year and prayed that the Almighty would move from the seat of judgment to the seat of mercy. And scholars call this prayer, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He was praying for his eleven. We believe he would pray for you and me the same. Let's take a look. Six times In these 26 verses, he says, Father, Father, Holy Father, 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 Righteous Father. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify the Father that we may make known to them the one true God in my most recent Jewish-Christian dialogue group just three weeks ago, we were discussing another couple of chapters in the book we've been working on this year when suddenly one of the Christians at the table said, well, I try to do what's right because God first loved me, and so I try to love others. And one of the Jewish women said, well, that's not where we start. God loved me, so i got to love you. And he asked, Well, where do you start? And she said, we start with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do what he says. (laughs) God created the heavens and the earth. Do what he says. I want these people to know the one true God, and the God of Jesus is the God of Israel. The God who first moved, who first spoke, who first caused, who one day approached an old man and an old woman and asked them if they would like to have a son. And from Abraham and Sarah, the Jews had had 1,800 years of history with the one true God before Jesus was born. And always in the Gospels, it's a pointing back to Israel's God, the one true God. Eastertide is about what we Gentile Christians believe that one true God did once and for all in Christ Jesus, culminating in his raising him from the dead. Our United Methodist reporter has a regular column written by Bishop Woody White. Bishop Woody White is not white. He's an African-American bishop. He preached from this very pulpit when Dan Solomon was Bishop of Oklahoma and asked him to come and preach at the annual conference. Powerful, powerful preacher, now retired, and is teaching on the faculty of the theology school at Emory University, our Candler uh, Theology School there. In his column that week, he was saying, I'm going to church Sunday morning. Bishops don't get to preach on Easter Sunday, he said. Everybody wants to preach in his or her own pulpit on Easter. But I'll be in church, and I hope they'll sing my favorite Easter hymn. And then he said, my favorite Easter hymn was written by an African-American. There aren't many hymns in our Methodist hymn book written by African-Americans. This one written by the Reverend Dr. William James. He was appointed pastor of Metropolitan United Methodist Church in Harlem, 1952. Harlem was a different place in 1952 from what it is today, and he stayed there 33 years. I like that number, 33. (laughs) 33 years he was there. From 1952 to 1985, he pastored that great church He died just five months ago at 97. Gail, if we can do that well, we'll do pretty well. He died at 97. He wrote a hymn that came out of all those years on the rough streets of Harlem. Records show that almost 100 young African Americans entered the ministry during his 33 years that more than 400 got to go to college because of calls he made, money he raised, encouragement he gave. Bishop Woody White said, I really hope the preacher where I'm going Easter Sunday will have us sing his hymn. Well, Dr. Pancerra did have us sing his hymn. These are the words, Easter people, raise your voices. Sounds of heaven and earth should ring. Christ has brought us heaven's choices. Heavenly music, let it ring. Alleluia, alleluia. Easter people, let us sing. Fear of death can no more stop us from our pressing here below, for our Lord empowered us to triumph over every foe. Alleluia, alleluia. On to victory, now we go. Every day to us is Easter with its resurrection song. When in trouble, move the faster to our God who writes the wrong. Alleluia, alleluia. See the power of heavenly throngs. Father, I'm trying to help them know the one true God. Number two, I have made your name known. We learned the name that Moses received at the burning bush, Eyeh Asher Eye. Most often translated, I am who I am, but it's a strange form of the verb to be. Dr. Amy Jill Levine, who came to give our Kanippa Lecture 18 months ago said, I really prefer I will be who I will be, Moses, get on the road back to Egypt. I have made your name known, Jesus said. When one reads the Gospel of John, we find John focusing on the name, I am, I am, I am the bread, I am the vine, I am living water, I am the resurrection, I am life. I've tried to make your name known. Dr. Gail O'Day, in her commentary on this passage says, but it's not just the name, of course. To know the name is to know something of the essence. Ah, that's a good word, comes from Latin, essay, which is the verb to be, strange in Latin, as it is in Hebrew, as it is in English. I am, you are, he, she, or it is. You know, it's a strange verb. But essence is the real stuff. Jesus was revealing the real stuff of God. A couple of months ago, I, like many of you, was enjoying March Madness. I look forward to college basketball when they get to the big tournament, that final big tournament, one for the women, one for the men. We were hosting here in Tulsa just before that tournament began, the Converse USA Championship Tournament. University of Tulsa men didn't do quite so well, but the University of Tulsa women did remarkably well, and they weren't expected to win at all. Coach Mossman is trying really hard to rebuild the women's team at the University of Tulsa, but when they got to tournament time, they were only 13, 16. But they had a little point guard named Talea Mayberry daughter of one famous NBA player named Lee Mayberry. Now, she isn't as tall as Skylar Diggins. She's 14 inches shorter than uh, Skylar Diggins, but during her four years at the University of Tulsa, she scored almost 1,700 points. And when the team began the tournament, lo and behold, they won the first game, advanced, won the second game, advanced, won the third game, advanced, won the tournament, went to to the NCAA tournament for the first time in seven years, and the pages of the Tulsa World were filled with articles about this young woman. I read them all. On one day, three different sports writers devoted his entire column to this young woman, just five feet, six inches tall, almost 1,700 points. They were asking her a little bit about her family life and what it's like to play basketball when you have a famous dad who played in the NBA. And she said, well, he gives me a lot of good tips. He tells me, don't pick up your dribble until you know where you're gonna pass it. Don't drive down into that corner where you got two sidelines. It's so easy to trap you down there. Fake left, pivot, go right. But when I come off the court, my mother just throws her arms around me and says, "You're amazing. You're amazing." I think Jesus showed us both of those faces of God, one that says, "You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light candles and put them under bushels, no one candlesticks so that they give light to all that are in the house. You're the salt of the earth but I'm going to help you do this better. I want you to do this better. Let me help you do this better. Number three, these I'm leaving in the world, but they're not of the world any more than I am of this world. Now, we have to be careful in John's Gospel with this word cosmos. Because we're told back there in chapter 3, verse 16, that we, when, that we learned when we were little children, God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And now Jesus is saying, they're not of the cosmos? and I'm not of the Cosmos? Dr. Rudolf Bultmann in his commentary on John says, you see, the thing that's wrong with the world is that it keeps acting like the world. It's a bundle of appetites that have gone berserk. These wonderful appetites that were given us each in his or her own creation, we now let us run in all kinds of strange directions we want more stuff and more stuff and we want everybody else to get out of the way so these are one in that they are no longer letting their appetites run crazy in fact they've been harnessed they have come to believe that you God are in me And they're trying to do this better. Elizabeth Bolton wrote recently in Christian Century Magazine that her little children love to hear her read to them and that she loves to. So she said, I was in a bookstore trying to find a book that might be one of their favorites that they want to hear over and over. And I saw a beautiful book about songbirds. Beautiful illustrations. I paid for it that night after dinner I said, how about if we read a new book? And I got one on either side of me and as I opened it they were ooh, these beautiful pictures of these songbirds. She said, I didn't read the whole thing at the store and I got to a page that talked about the little songbirds have a brood patch it was called. A brood patch that the very feathers on their breasts that are supposed to protect them most all the time begin to get loose and fall out when it's time to sit on new eggs so that the warmth from their breasts can rest right against the egg and bring it to fruition. And Elizabeth writes, believe that's what God did in Christ was to bear his breast so that we could all feel the warmth and power of the grace of God number four thank you for singing beautiful river the fourth point today is when Jesus says father righteous father these you've given me, I want to be where I am. In chapter 14, he's already said, I I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be. And now three chapters later, I want them to be with me. I was reading recently, there's a revival of an old play on Broadway called The Trip to Bountiful. When I was in seminary, one of my professors was Dr. Ronald Sleeth, whose wife Natalie wrote the Hymn of Promise. Dr. Sleeth, in one of his classes called Preaching in Contemporary Literature, he liked very much the writing of Horton Foote. And when I started reading plays by Horton Foote, I was amazed at how accurately he captures the way East Texas folk talk. You want to know how people talk in Carthage, Texas? You read Horton Foote. He knows how they talk. I mean, when I read Horton Foote, I can see faces that I know. I can hear voices that are still there. Tender Mercies, what a wonderful story. Robert Duvall won an Academy Award for playing that role in the movie. The Trip to Bountiful was written in 1953 about Houston, Texas. An elderly woman has been moved into this fast-growing city where she lives in a two-room apartment with her son and daughter-in-law. She really wants to live at Bountiful. Bountiful is where the old farm was. Bountiful is where she lived with the only men she ever loved. Bountiful is where two children finally had died and were buried but the old house is literally falling down and the son has moved his mother into his apartment in Houston. Lillian Gish played the old woman in the first production. A movie was made in 1985 and Geraldine Page played that role and won an Academy Award. Well, This time around, it's Cicely Tyson. First time it's ever been done on Broadway with a predominantly African-American cast. The son is Cuba Gooding Jr. The daughter in law is Vanessa Williams. That's star power. And they are filling the theater night after night. The reviewer for the Wall Street Journal says, I've been going to Broadway plays all my adult life and I've never been so inspired as I was by this play. I wondered if the director producer had changed any of it because he had an African American cast. He didn't change a word, not a word. But what has changed is the audience. With that kind of star power from African-Americans, more and more African-Americans are filling that theater. He said the night he was there, when this old woman is trying to figure out a way to get back to Bountiful, and her son keeps telling her, there is no more Bountiful. She counts up her social security money and calls the train station to see if she can get a train ticket to Bountiful. They say no train stops at Bountiful now call the bus station, she called the bus station, they said, we can get you to the county seat town, we can't get you out to Bountiful, there is no Bountiful. She took a chance. She went down to the bus station, she bought a ticket. Part of the conversation is between her and a young bride on that bus. She finally gets to the the bus station in the county seat town and she keeps asking, how do I get to Bountiful? How do I get to Bountiful? And finally the guy sees the county sheriff driving past, signals him and says, I don't know what to do with this old woman. She's trying to get to Bountiful. I keep telling her there is no way to get to Bountiful. And the county sheriff says, I'll drive her. And he takes her out there. Now, Cicely Tyson will be 80 this December herself. She knows how to play this role. And there comes a time when Horton Foote wrote that when life seems to be almost overbearing to her, the old front porch of her house falling in, not safe. She starts to sing quietly. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. You know what happened? The black audience started singing along with her. They started singing softly with her. They know this song. And then she shifted to Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Do you hear him?